Blog Talk Radio. Today, we'll be discussing that particular thing 
as well as we would like to invite you to join us as well by calling in at 323-679-0841. So you know how we roll on Africa on the Move. We're going to get started with our party right now by introducing to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. And we're going to first start with Brother Anthony. We're going to bring him in and we're going to tell Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Anthony. Oh, revolutionary greetings, Brother Africa. Thanks for having me. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists and listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Brother Africa, now we'll bring in Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome as well to Africa on the Moon. Brother Haki. Bro- Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness, and of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. But interestingly enough, you know, uh, the great uh, leader, um, uh, Senor uh, Orange Menace, Talk about a little bit about he alluded a little bit about fascism, and it's very interesting in terms of this relationship between Trump and fascism. Often people think fascism is something that happened in Nazi Germany and don't necessarily understand that the conditions uh, that create a fascism in Nazi Germany are the same conditions that currently exist in America. But Trump's statement in terms of his affirmation of, of fascism speaks volumes, and so I was thinking about this. So I want you to check this out. Now, Trump in recent presidential debates stated white racists should stand back not stand, but stand by. Its words have very real implications for expanding fascism, fascism in the U.S. and the role institutions reform in the expansion of fascism. Trump may not be the consummate politician in terms of strategy, but his ability to see, to see many in the populace is impressive. Such acumen demonstrated by fascists throughout history underlies a unique understanding of social economic institutions and the political interplay that bring all these institutions together. Implicit in the manipulation of these institutions is the question of legitimacy. Obviously, convincing the masses of citizens' support of neo-fuel policies in their interest is a difficult endeavor. The simplest methodology employed to achieve unfettered support from the citizens toward policies that undermine their self-interest is to invoke nationalism. In the context of the U.S., nationalism takes on a nativist character, where its intent only applies to those in the U.S. who rightly belong in the U.S., Certainly, there are those various ethnic group individuals who will embrace the ban of U.S. nationalism under the mistaken notion that U.S. nationalism applies to them. When Trump made his nativist statement appealing to white racists, he literally understood the role white racists must play to perpetuate the white man's control. Now, understanding imperial control is key to understanding why Trump's penchant for validating racism is consistent. And looking at the evolution of capitalism, the level of control by capitalists only came into question during and after World War II. Industrial capitalism organized around military production performed well economically. This increase in productivity in no small measure was a result of government intervention spurred on by communist agitation and the threat imposed by rising Russia. Government intervention included high marginal taxes on, on the wealthy, prevented corporate investments that were risky, in other words, compelled or coerced domestic investments in the U.S. economy, Essential unions uh, is also increased social welfare spending. Consequently, government's access to more capital increased as, as, as a result as investments increased, 
to corporations resulting in higher employment. That sounds good, right? Well, it's wrong. The name of the game is capitalism. Tenants of capitalism does not advocate overall good for the people. Instead, it sees enrichment, it sees empowerment as the domain of the wealthy. In the case of FDR's New Deal, all the benefits from the New Deal, they benefit poor poor people, started before, were undermined by the Supreme Court that found many of the New Deal economic and political measures unconstitutional. Even though FDR policies prevailed, the attacks by the Supreme Court and welfare have not ended. Notions of laws affirming the value of poor people's lives continues to meet resistance by elites. <clears throat> that any notion of equality lessens the power is controlled by elites. And so, therefore, any question in terms of empowering poor people is rejected. Trump understands this. Now, having escaped an era where equality almost became a reality, capitalism shifted into a new phase. This phase was the monopoly finance capitalism. With monopoly finance capitalism came mobility for corporations. Content on maximizing profits, capitalists, along with government, agreed more profit could be attained around the world. Corporations closed businesses in the U.S. for destinations abroad, particularly China. Uh, plight of American workers were of no, of, of no importance. The, magnet, the multitude of unemployed could rest assured job opportunities existed, but those opportunities existed within the context of prisons. In order to accommodate newly unemployed workers, prison expansion increased exponentially, ironically providing job opportunities at very low or no wages at all. Now, we should keep in mind that when we talk about this prison expansion during the 80s, Keep in mind that at this point in time, crime from that point has been decreasing since. So the expansion of prison has nothing to do in terms of dealing with the question of crime. It had more to do with creating opportunities for Wall Street types to make lots and lots of money at the expense of the most vulnerable people in society. Now, under monopoly finance capitalism, corporate takeovers exploded. Antitrust laws established to prevent monopolies were weakened. Competition, once valued, was now seen as an impediment to profits. A price gouging once frowned upon saw consumer concerns about high prices unimportant. The marketplace would no longer determine prices, but instead be set by corporate managers whose only concern were their profits because of stock options. Corporate, bo- corporate boards would reward managers with stocks, and and with the ethics of the business decline, excuse me, uh, exploitation of consumers were rewarded. Exploitation not only included consumers, but the business process. In fact. The stock market crash of 2000, the dot-com crash of 2001, and the housing debacle of 2008 were all the result of skirting business ethics and rules in pursuit of profit, illegal otherwise. The system that condones such malfeasance is called capitalism, where control and power resides with wealth. Now, one of the one of the uh, one of the most insidious aspects of monopoly finance capitalism was the finalization of capital. Profits could be obtained without labor. Labor had become expandable. Corporate investments replaced labor, and profits could be now achieved without labor. Unemployment was no longer considered an impediment to efficient capitalism, where corporate investments and technology would begin to replace workers, and the role of labor less important. The consequence of not needing labor poses a paradox for both corporations and our government officials, namely what to do with so many people who capital doesn't need nor capitalism desires. Certainly, prison expansion was one way to address the problem of surplus workers without jobs, but only a short-term solution. Longer-term solutions must entail strategies to not only address the problem of too many workers and not enough jobs, but strategies that will effectively neutralize the growing threat of cap- to capitalism posed by unemployed people who are perceived as a drain on resources. 
This brings us to the final stage of capitalism and evolution. Professor Richard Wolff defines this as a state financialization. Under state financialization, a central bank is primary, determining who receives credit and who does not and who does not make central banks the most powerful financial entity. By extending credit to corporations and are wealthy, these recipients of credit enjoy great prestige and power. The problem is providing credit by extension means government debt is, in, is created. Given the decline of the dollar's reserve status, corporate debt and the economic decline, all this access to credit represents a house of cards. The only question of capitalism demise is not when, but when, not if, but when. It is this realization that both capitalists and politicians understand. Given the level of anger and despair among the populace, a diversion is badly needed. Utilizing the media to sow division between Africans and whites, the ruling class seeks to establish a buffer consisting of right-wing whites to serve as a shield while providing the wealthy opportunity to devise more oppressive strategy or at the very least an opportunity to flee the country. So when Trump embraces right-wing racists, it's part of a strategy. Can right-wing racists be manipulated to carry out government-sanctioned killings? Yes, they can. Is Trump ignorant of the implications of his words? No, he's not. Will Trump's rhetoric appeal to fascism? Absolutely. Clearly, Trump gets it. So it's very important that we understand this question in terms of fascism and what it means to our lives. Even though we like to believe that somehow we're impervious to the flow of history, the reality is that uh, history visits every nation in the world. And so once, when Bob Marley used to talk about once on top is coming on down, he's essentially, essentially what he's saying is that nothing remains at top forever, and we got to understand that reality. The only difference is that when we talk about the context of America coming down, then we got to understand, given the nature of technology and given the lack of moral development in society, then we can anticipate great, tremendous amounts of harm inflicted upon the citizenry in this country and throughout the world. So we got to understand the nature of fascism. We have to organize. We have to institutions. Because the bottom line is, no matter how much we wish it wouldn't, wish, 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 wish it wouldn't so, the bottom line is that. Uh, we're 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 vastly approaching very uh, dangerous terrain, so we have to understand the nature of the threat. And I close with that, Brother Africa. But but again, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, Brother Haki. We now we'll go with Brother Moses. You listen to Africa on the Move. If you have any comments or questions, or like to share some information with us, we welcome you to call in at three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. And please hit one, and we will acknowledge the last four numbers. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. You know, it's always an honor to have you on this program. And I'm going to take another call. I think it's callers. I want to thank this sister Hattie right here. Call her 4381. Caller 4381, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Yes, that's me. That's me, Brother Africa. Oh, wow. We are so happy to hear your voice. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing better, thank you, for keeping on and keeping on. Good, 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 good. Good to hear everybody's voice again. Oh, wow, wow, okay. 
Well, you just in time. Um, what we're going to do right now, um, if you'd like to say a few words to the listening audience, Sister Annie, you can go ahead. And then we're going to take a quick station break and we're going to go to that transition of what's going on in our community and our world. So any few words you'd like to say to our listening audience for right now? Sure. I'm just glad to see you all and hear you all. And um been a little bit under the weather and um, glad you're still doing this. This is awesome. Really good to still uh, be on giving out that great information that you always have. Okay. To our listening audience, you know, this is our dear sister Haiti, and I'm uh, so happy to be able to hear her voice and have her with us for as long as we can. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a liberation music break, and when we come back, we're going to go into our first segment of the program of what's going on in your world community. If you have anything you'd like to share, we encourage you to call 323-679-0841. Please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. International City. International City. I 
punish me. Make it for the punish me. Make the money punish me. Make it land the punish me. I read up for book you. I see some assess you. Welly, welly you. Welly, welly you. I want to get you. If I deny you, I will punish me. If you do punish me, you kill the punish me. If I punish me, Humanity, human being, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace, live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong
who are we? And how do we be? We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. You see, it started a long time ago and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child. Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade. Creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. See, our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Because we're hip to the world, so we create black pearls. Everyone can wear. Everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. On and on. That's right. We shine everywhere. This is Africa on the move. We're going to be in this seat and we're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We're now going to move to our segment, what's going on in your world and the community. If you'd like to join us, please call 323-679-0841 and share with us what's going on in your world and the community. So right now, we're going to bring in Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Talk to us. Certainly. Um, yesterday, uh, let's see, um, you know, uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, Pan-African Roots, uh, the Hi- Hiroshima, Hiroshima Nagasaki uh, Peace uh, Committee of the National Capital Area, and the National Council of Arab Americans organized a commemoration of Indigenous Peoples Day in Washington, D.C., in Malcolm X Park. Uh, unfortunately, due to uh, economic constraints, I wasn't able to be there in person. But uh, what, I, what I heard was very uh, positive uh, in terms of uh, supporting and expressing solidarity with the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere and the struggles of indigenous people around the world, including, uh, you know, uh, Palestine and Africa. And I thought it was uh, very positive. And, um, you know, and I think, uh, and I think it was very informative for those uh those of our people that don't understand our historic relationship uh with the indigenous people of this hemisphere and in terms of their efforts uh you know to help you know uh try to alleviate our suffering under uh capitalism and uh it was a, a very um you know, strong stand against settler colonialism and other manifestations of capitalism around the world. Also, uh, let's see, the repression um, 
uh, you know, continues against uh, Africans worldwide, uh, particularly, uh, you know, at home and uh, and and in the diaspora. And uh, let's see, and uh, let's see, uh, the the campaign rhetoric is heating up, of course, you know, as uh, election day draws closer. And uh, that's pretty much what I have at the moment. All right, thank you, Brother Ashley. Next we'll go to Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, what's going on in your world and the community? The mic is well, bro. Well, Brother Africa, you know, uh, I guess this is somewhat positive, but recently in Tunisia and North Africa, uh, the courts the courts proclaimed uh, this practice of designating, you know, uh, African people, you know, as descendants of slaves by actually giving them a name is actually over. Uh, the courts ruled that that's uh, unconstitutional. Now, ironically, this practice uh, has been going on for a long, long time because slavery was, in Tunisia, was abolished back in 1846, but this practice in terms of uh, uh, delegating this, 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 this word, uh, uh to African people to, des- to designate the fact that uh, these people are descendants of slaves persists to this day. And if people, the question that people ask is why, you know, in the 21st century has this practice not been uh, uh, destroyed? Uh, clearly when the French came there and they set up, set up this, uh, spread up racism, uh, clearly, uh, there are a lot of people who, quote unquote, who call themselves Muslim, who embrace the same kind of racism. So what we have to understand is when we talk about this colonial mindset, uh, we got to understand that often when we talk about the colonial mindset as it relates to Christian community, but we have to understand this colonial mindset also pertains to a lot of Muslims in the Muslim community. So we got to be very clear on this. But it's good that at least they acknowledge the, the systematic wrong in terms of you know, denoting uh, uh, this this term, or using the term to define a human being, because one of the things when you when you put that tag that tag atig on an, on an individual, uh, the thing is that uh, they're treated as though in fact they are in fact slaves. In other words, the access to jobs, uh, opportunity, uh, those kind of things are almost non-existent simply because they you've been uh, tagged with this 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 this, this, with this this artificial label of atig, which literally means liberated by. So, so clearly it's good that uh, this 81-year-old African man, Hamden Dali, was able to uh, relieve himself of that tag. And hopefully the Tunisian government will move much more quicker in terms of dispensing with this practice totally. Because no one can understand why in the 21st century that, that practice continues. So it's good at least that at least it's out in the open. And it's good to see that the, um, the Africans in Tunisia are, in fact, uh, raising concerns in terms of the systematic racism that exists in Tunisia. And it has to be addressed. Uh, so it is a problem. This question in terms of the oppression of African people, you know, by people quote unquote call themselves Muslims, is this, you know, not only in Tunisia, it is this also in Libya, North Africa, uh, currently where they're selling uh, in, uh, Africans who are immigrants who are fleeing, you know, dire circumstances in their own countries. They're selling them to slavery in Libya. In the Middle East, there's also a problem in terms of this practice, particularly the United Arab Emirates. Um, in some places in Yemen, we have this problem in terms of this practice. So clearly, you know, we, 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 we as a people, we got to work out in terms of, you know, uh, uh, eliminating this kind of vestiges of racism that exists, whether it exists among co- the Christian community or it exists among the Muslim community, 
uh, this, the ravages of, of, of racism or the systematic oppression of African people based upon skin color has come to an end. So it's good to see at the very minimum uh, the brothers and sisters in Tunisia and North Africa are standing up and saying enough is enough. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next to go with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, 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 I think, you know, we cannot ignore the uh, struggle for state power by the actors um, who dominate the, the, the stage at this point, the Democrats and Republicans. Uh, um, in terms of we, we, uh, we can't ignore the fact that the state is a very, very powerful entity and that who has control of the state makes a, a big impact on our lives, or at least on the masses of people's lives. If we don't think of it as so much in terms of how it's going to personally influence us, maybe we should think about it in terms of the masses and how it, how it has been inflicted upon, um, on the pressure on the masses. And so, anyway, um, I was there yesterday at the, the, the solidarity with the Native Americans, and, um, and um, it was a great day. Um, a lot of political consciousness there, a lot of, a lot of understanding of the struggle, a lot of socialist-minded um, people, and uh, that's a good thing whenever we can gather and reinforce each other and, and uh, trade newspapers, etc. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we're going to ask Sister Hattie. Sister Hattie, what's going on in your world community? Well, like I said, it's kind of a bit, bit, little bit under the weather, but I was talking to um, a sister today. I hadn't talked with her in a long time. I'm, I'm actually in Charlotte, North Carolina right now. I've been here for a while, a few months. Um, so, yeah, we can... Um, I'm getting some little feedback on the phone, so I apologize for that. I don't know what's wrong with this phone, but um, been over here and just my daughter and her family. So I guess um, over here it's been pretty good. Nothing, nothing that extraordinary, but um, just trying to. do what I can over what here can to see that people vote and that kind of thing. But I was talking to a young lady today. I hadn't seen her. She lived in Minnesota. And I'm just trying to think. She's from a country. She's from Yemen. Yemen. And she was very excited about Things that was happening up that way, and I did talk with another person that was from um, Ghana who was saying how bad it was that happened there in Minnesota with, um, you know, the racism. And I just thought, well, I don't know, it's going to be that way all over. That's what the USA does. 
you can go anywhere in the USA and you're going to experience the same thing. People think it's not like that. They hear all this wonderful, great stuff, and then that's just the way it is. Well, I can go to another state and be better off and safer. And I say, well, no, that's USA. Wherever you go, it doesn't make any difference. You're going to get the same thing. And yeah, all kinds of things have been happening with him. Uh, yeah, he's from Ghana. You remind me, Sister Hannah, to make this statement, like there's, there's an old saying, you can run, but you can't hide. When it comes right, to the right, and things right. all, all over. You can run from it, but you can't hide. All right, we, we thank you. We uh, shall listen to the audience again. If you have anything you'd like to share with that's basically what's going on in your world and your community. Feel free to call in. Um, to my panelists, yes, I would like to echo also the sentiment on dealing with indigenous people today. I had a chance to participate uh, as a worker to support this event, and I thought it was very um, beautiful in terms of looking to the very diversity of the um, various organizations of Brazil and how they chose to express their message of solidarity. And I think it's something that not only beginning to catch on, but hopefully be institutionalized. So um, the one in Washington, D.C. was a real, real um, beautiful event in terms of feeling the vibes of the folks. And a knowledge is something that should have been acknowledged from the beginning of time, that, you know, the indigenous people, they are the rightful owners of this territory, and they need a home back. So like we need our home Africa back where we can control it and dictates what take place and how we will use the resources that come from the land. So it was a real, real, real um, beautiful day, and we'd like to um, give our best wishes to all the organizations who helped push this event on, and hopefully next year we'll work harder and have even bigger and better. So salute to all those who support it and all those who participate on Indigenous People Day commemoration. So um, right now, panelists, when we talk about what's going on, that was um, that was an interesting article that was um, published from a young lady who was from Canada. And she was talking about she was a privilege of being part of a group who was giving the assignment of preparing for a deepening, a deepening of the crisis, of this corona crisis, this pandemic. And one of the things she alluded to, and we often talk about, you know, the possibilities of what the state will do um, against the people in order to maintain its power. But she mentioned that she had a mandate, or that group had a mandate to devise a plan where they would begin to force people not only to... Um, come to and take these kind of um, shots for assassination. But also they will create a plan where they will give you debt relief, where you will be able to receive money. But if you own any property or have any assets, the state will take over your assets and all your property, 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 and you'll be, you'll be, um, you'll have no assets, no property. At the expense of acquiring and getting the money, and if you choose not to go, and they will set up certain areas where you will be um, taken there and either forced to accept the agreement 
or you'll be dealt with it accordingly. So I was just wondering, in terms of looking at that particular um, possibility or near future, what's coming down the pipe, and she said that this this particular method of planning to force people where the state will again take away all their assets and their property, it will be something that will be done in every country. It's already in the process of taking place in Canada. I was just wondering, what was your response for those who read the article to that particular um, to that particular article, or the possibilities that may lie ahead for the people throughout the world? Anyone like to respond to it? Yes. Yeah. Um, um, I think I'm one of the things that has happened with this pandemic, pandemic is that is it has. That it has Intensified, intensified or exposed, or exposed more, more clearly more the clearly contradictions inherent in capitalism. And by and that, by I, mean, that capitalism I mean capitalism has gotten more, has repressive, gotten more repressive, repressive in the guise of trying to deal with this pandemic. And I think and what's I happening think in, what's Canada in Canada could happen could in happen other capitalist countries. And these are even countries that are under neocolonialist domination, like most of the countries in Africa. As a matter of fact, almost all of Africa, for that matter. And uh, the other countries in North, Central, and South America and the Caribbean. Okay. Anyone else? Like well, let me let me ask you a question, brother Africa. What 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 is the context? I mean, are you saying that is that affiliated with taking the, the vaccine? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's, it's in, in context affiliated with not only taking the vaccine, in which they go force on the people, but also in terms of they gonna make the crisis so bad in terms of a large pool unemployment. Or people become unemployed, that they can create a stimulus package, or what's the concept they call it, where the government can just give you money just to survive. Well, they're going to give you this insurance thing where they give you money to survive. But in order to get the money, or if you accept the money, you have to sign a contractor agreement that any property or any assets that you have will have to be turned over to the government. And we choose not yeah. to. Play ball or what have you. The military, you will have to deal with the military. Yeah, well, yeah, that, well makes sense. that makes sense. That, that makes sense. That because makes if you're sense. talking about, you're in talking fact, about the government about giving a universal, universal basic, basic income, income. the people, right. they're always things attached. One of the things they don't want to do in the first place, but given the, the, the fragile nature of capitalism, they got another recourse because without money going through the capital, I mean, without money going through the system, there can be no capitalism. And so they're caught between the rock and the hard place. They have to do it not because they want to do it. They're doing it because they're compelled to do it. But in addition to that, one thing you have to understand, when we talk about the demise of capitalism, you understand, you got the surplus number of people unemployed who can be employed, uh, people who are existing, as far as the government is concerned, is esoteric. They have no right to. To exist. No right to exist. 
Fundamentally, what do you do with all these people that you don't have you don't have any need for? What do you do with them? Well, in the context of capitalism, you create devise very creative ways in terms of getting rid of them. Certainly, drugs plays a role in terms of you know getting rid of people. You 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 undermine their, their defenses in terms of um, you know in terms of their being. They're more susceptible to bacteria and, and, and other kinds of uh, uh, viruses. Uh, certainly, one of the things you can do in terms of if you see the kind of hopelessness is certainly you can facilitate depression. And as people get depressed, they would actually seek self-destruction as opposed to dealing with depression. It's much easier simply to kill yourself rather than deal with the oppression. Uh, so clearly, you know, there is there is there is always a game plan in terms of what the capitalists do. And this is what we have to understand. And so when they tie the universal basic income to taking those shots, one thing we got to be very very careful about. There was a sister. Uh, she was a doctor. She was, a, you know, um, European sister. She left. She's currently living in Panama. She said, "Listen," and she said this 20 years ago. She said, "Listen, when they devise these vaccine shots, please do not take them because they're specifically designed to weaken your immune system." Specifically. It makes sense. When you got this surplus of people, all these people who don't have access to jobs, who can never have access to jobs, uh, and that number proliferates, they keep growing, 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 it creates a real stability problem for capitalism. And so the only way for longevity for, for capitalists is to find a creative way to get rid of all these number of people. Well, if you just give them a vaccine that's going to weaken their immune system, then the job is halfway done. Because essentially what you're saying is that a, a Aside the, aside the poverty, you got these conditions that exist that are geared toward, you know, further debilitating and undermining the human immune system. And so, therefore, it plays into the government's hand because you're effectively getting all those people that you don't want. This is what people don't want to deal with. People people struggle with this. They want to believe that, you know what, uh, you know, if I want to find a job, I can find a job. No problem. Lots of jobs, blah, 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 blah. They want to believe that. They don't want to deal with reality. So when you look in terms of the unemployment numbers as they relate in society, particularly when it comes to the African community, they're abysmal. Even if you talk about the formal the formal numbers that are uh, represented or produced by the government itself, those numbers are abhorrent. So clearly, if you talk about real unemployment as exists in the African community or people generally, then you talk about an excess of 25 to 35% unemployment. That number is only going to increase. As that number increase, in terms of longevity, in terms of maintaining power of the system, how do you do that? You can't do you got all these people hungry, angry, you know, committing crimes, killing each other, possibly even killing the enemy because they are so upset, disillusioned about what's going on. You can't have that. So you got to create some means in which you, 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 you reduce those numbers. That seems is the perfect way in terms of reducing those numbers. And one thing also I'm a citizen I can prove about Africa, we have to understand. When we decide, when we start talking about control in America, we got to understand very, very, very clear. Economic control does not reside with the, with the Congress or the President or the Wall Street or the Wall Street, Wall Street for that matter. These decisions are made internationally. This is what we don't understand. And so we talk about real control in terms of controlling our politics, controlling our economics. This is a force that exists well beyond the power and control of our representatives. And this is what we, it's very difficult to understand because we've been programmed to believe that, in fact, that the Congress and the President and Wall Street, in fact, determine that the destination of the society. It's not true. It's not true. 
in order for people to understand that, they have to read. There's no getting around that. If you really want to understand in terms of you know how the society is organized, you have to read. I mean, there's no getting around that. And you have to incorporate economics. You can't avoid economics. You see, if you avoid economics, you'll never understand the level of deprivation, the kind of game plan, the kind of gamesmanship employed by those who the power in order to maintain power. We have to fundamentally understand how economics work. We have to. Because if we don't understand that, I know that those of us who say, well, I can't grasp economics. It's too tough. They want you to think it's tough. They want you to think you're possibly to grasp. So they come up with these convoluted uh, definitions for things. You know, in reality, it's very, very simplistic. All you have to do is take the time to figure out what they're really saying. So when you use the term, go back and figure out what they're really saying. It makes, and once you do that, you begin to see right through the shenanigans. The imaginations and all the games that they play in terms of you know, undermining you know, the populace. Economics is key. But yes, Brother Africa, I agree. And there's no question about it. The, the vaccinations will play a big part in terms of carrying out the agenda of those in positions of power who want to see uh, a, a, a reduction in terms of the population, not only in the United States, but they want to see that globally. So I agree that the universal basic income comes in streams, and that's the only reason they're doing it, not because it's good for people or good for the economy. They're doing it because it's the only way they can they can enhance their power. I give create a perception that they care about you, and so therefore then, on the other end, say to you, well, I know if you you get this money, you do this for us once you take this vaccine. And it's going to work. Most people are going to take it, sadly so. But that's another, that's another, that's another question. Anyway, that's my response to that, Brother Africa. Brother Moses, Brother Hanny, anything you hear heard you'd like to make a comment or speak to? Brother Moses first. Yeah, um, the um, the fascialization well, process continues to take place in the U.S. debate and around the world. Hold on, Sister Hattie. Let me have Brother Moses, then we bring you. You go next. Let Brother Moses go first, then we bring you in. Go ahead, Brother Moses. Make your point. Then we come with Sister Hattie. The fascialization mm-hmm. process is taking place throughout the USA and around the world. And this, this, this fascialization process is a streamlining of the government and its institutions uh, in order to pave the way for finance capital to dominate and expand and expand and expand because otherwise it's going to die uh, because this sick, moribund, dead capital that uh, it, these people have invested in has no future. And so it's a last-ditch effort to prop up the, to prop up the state and to prop up their, their state carrying out and looking out for their interests. And we have, to, we have to recognize this process is taking place, and they are making their plans, but we, we don't have to submit to their plans. We can make our own plans for independent, independent organizations and, uh, and uh, fight back. And so that's, that's, that's what we have to do. We cannot allow them. We, cannot, we have to struggle, and right now we have to use any means necessary and all means available, and that's why the vote is so important. Right now, because Donald Trump has shown that he is he is not the the average capitalist. He is in words and deeds proven he's a fascist, and we have to recognize and deal with it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Sister Hattie, your thoughts? Okay. Yes. Um, well, that's a good idea for them, but it's not for us. 
But um, what I'm going to do is, uh, after I speak a minute here, I'm going to just log out and come back in because there's so much feedback on this phone, I can't hear. So, um, no problem. We'll, we'll be okay, um, but what I did want to say is that's a great idea for them, but um, it's not a good idea for anybody who's probably is paid for or almost paid for. Yeah, we agree. All right. So, yeah, it's bad. All right, what we're going to do okay. is I'm like going to hang up and call back because I just can't. It's too much feedback on this phone for me. Good enough. All right, Miss Sister, we'll be okay. here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, panelists and audience, we're dealing with the segment, What's Going On Your World Community. We encourage you, if you want to join in, hey, just hit us on up at 323-609-0841. Hit one, we'll acknowledge your last four numbers. Panelists, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time, and I want you all to respond to it. You know, sometimes we can be put in a position of something, we're not conscious of it, and other people can run run things by you, around you, and you don't have no idea in terms of um, how they was able to do this. But I have a question, panelists, and this for y'all today, as it relates to the story and narrative of Beyond the Taylor. Um, and I was trying to figure this out, and I need your help. This is what I'm trying to figure out. The narrative is that the police broke down and came through the door, her boyfriend shot at one of them or hit one of them in the leg. And they ended up killing her, shot her many times. But the guy who had the gun, the so-called boyfriend, who shot or hit them, he didn't get, um, he didn't get shot at, at all. He lived to survive. Something don't sound right about the story. Why they didn't shoot him and kill him? He had the gun and shot one of them. How do he survive in a situation like that? My thought, My thought uh, brother, uh, Africa, brother Africa, is that they didn't, they didn't, they didn't investigate, do enough of a thorough investigation of this case. Uh, uh, and um, and uh, one of the things I read was that that the attorney general did not uh, did, did not ask the jury to consider, you know, a murder charge against against the police for the shooting. And something's not adding up. Well, well, one the no the no not rule. Does not does, does not, not make does much, not sense. much sense because, because you could and, you could, and, it, and turns it turns out they they, 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 went, they to the went to the wrong apartment, apartment to start with, to start with. Allegedly. allegedly and, and uh, uh, you know they you know you know and once they they busted into the apartment. Uh, let's uh, see, uh, Brianna Taylor's Brianna boyfriend was acting in self-defense because, they, uh, you know, they uh, didn't, you know, uh, according, they did not they identify did not themselves identify as, police. as police. They presented they no identification, but, but, uh, you know, not, you not, know, not, not the door down to apartment and busted in there. 
and uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, 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 Taylor's uh, boyfriend was acting in self-defense because they didn't they didn't know what was going on. And whatever yeah, that's my understanding of it. But, 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 Brother Anthony, I think the point I raised, and I didn't hear you address it, is how is it that the boy's friend went on scale, not shot at all, and he's the one who did the shooting and had the gun? I don't see how that is possible. You walk out on scale like that if it went down according to their narrative. Would I be missing him? Uh, that... That doesn't make that sense doesn't to me either. It seemed sense. like he would have, uh, you know, uh, you know, had had some, uh, you, you know, if they were shooting randomly like that, he would have, he would have had, uh, he would have had, had, had some sort of sustained some sort of injury himself. And he didn't shoot him at all, but shot up the sister. Come on, Brother Moses, Sister Hannah, Brother Hack, you tell me something. How could that be? Well, well my you know, understanding, they let, him, they let him in there. They didn't bust him, and they, they let him in. And he still shot the warm-up and didn't shoot him? That still don't make sense. The whole thing never did make any sense. sense. You know, you know, one of the things is that, you know, we talk about the the power of setting a narrative. And so when the media presents a narrative, unfortunately, many of us tend to believe it. And we don't, we start thinking. We simply believe it because we read it or we were told it, it in fact exists. So you're absolutely correct. One of the ironies is that when you talk about it in terms of when, when this incident occurs, supposedly he was in the hallway. The sister was in the bedroom, in the bed. So the mere fact that he fired at them, which means that when they come to the door, they have a direct bead on him. So it seems to me that in terms of police training, they should immediately fired upon him once he fired, once he even saw a gun. But they didn't do that, which suggests that this narrative that the media is telling us, that the police is telling us, doesn't really exist. The fact, perhaps what happened was in terms of the, the shooting of, of Breonna Taylor, so perhaps Maybe it was a situation where maybe she was a she was a, um, you know she was moving around in her sleep or something, and some scary cop perceived a threat and started firing. That is that is what I surmise. But one thing I'm going to pick up on what Brother Anthony said, and that is that, in term, and I think it's relevant, and that is that this 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 this, this, this guy, this black guy, uh, who's the district attorney, uh, is very interesting that he. Uh, they, the coach mandated that he must release the grand jury minutes. He selectively went back and only released parts of the grand jury um, uh, minutes. So he intentionally tried to mislead the courts. Now, the jurors want to come out and talk about what, what, what they're privy to during that grand, grand jury proceeding. He's fighting against them to say they don't, have, they don't have the right to come out and talk about it. That's very interesting for for an attorney to make the, make the case, you know, that people don't have a constitutional right in terms of expression. I find that very ironic. So clearly, this guy is covering up something. Perhaps this inconsistency that you talk about in terms of why he wasn't shot for Brianna Taylor was perhaps 
That came out in the grand, grand jury, and the jurors want people to know precisely what, what transpired. So you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. None of it makes any sense. But but then again, none of it ever makes any sense. They never give you the facts, the facts, because they're not the media is not here to give you the facts. Of course, alternative media to the state that they privy to information will convey those facts. But by and large, you talk about mainstream media, they're not going to give you the facts. That's just that's just the way it goes. But it's good that you see how absurd this notion is that somehow he fires a shot, but he's unscathed, but uh, she's in a bed and she gets killed. So it's good that you point that out. It's important that people understand the, the, the role the media play in terms of setting narratives and stop being so damn gullible every time the media plays Okay, and what else we're talking about what's going on in your world in the community? Feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. Share with us what's going on in your world in the community. You can do that by calling again, 323-679-0841. Please hit 1 if you have a comment or question, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. If you have any comments you'd like to make or question, please hit 1. And we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Brother Moses, you'd like to respond to the narrative that we're discussing as it relates to Beyond and Taylor? Because it really doesn't make sense to me. Well, the woman was assassinated. I mean, like like Fred Hampton and so many others. I mean, you know, uh, that's why people are in the streets. That's why there's no justice, no peace. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, you can't explain the 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 idiosyncrasies and the 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 uh, the nuances of the situation. I mean, it's, it's only it's only one explanation. I mean, she was targeted, and they successfully killed her. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We're going to discuss we live in a world of games and deception, and this is a definite one. Sister Harvey, you have something you want to say? Oh, no, that that was that was it. She just was assassinated, like you said. And probably if you dig deeper, you'll find out why. There's a brother on YouTube talks about he investigated and he got documents of the whole corruption of this whole process. And, I, you know, if you get a chance, you might want to um, check it out and listen to some of the information that he's been trying to get out. But he having a very difficult time getting the information out because most people don't want to touch it. But um, I just thought it was interesting. I'm still trying to figure out how how is it that this brother walks out this with nothing happening to him. But yet they shot shot the sister up. So, you know, I just find that interesting. My next point of contention I'd like to get some feedback on, panelists, is that what do you make of how Donald Trump is dealing with his so-called coronavirus in terms of this whole narrative, how they treated him, how he chose to do whatever he wanted to as he pleased, and he didn't stay in the hospital no more than two to three days while they came about else, at least a minimum of 14 days. What do you make of his kind of behavior and how to deal with his so-called, his so-called of um, being effective, effective by um, the virus? Well, I think they... Yeah, they used uh, uh, experimental drugs on him. 
from what I uh, from what I understand. And uh, but the thing about though, he's uh, you know he uh, he only he didn't quarantine uh, for the full fourteen days as is recommended. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, concern is that he might have uh, jeopardized other people's health in the process by being by by being so casual with this uh, illness that he has. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, there's no telling what effect it might have on some of the people around him. You know, such as the support staff that work at the White House, uh, the Secret Service that's responsible for its protection. And that raises a flag for me that how he goes on, uh, you know, campaigning as if nothing really happened. And, uh, you know, how he's being very careless about, uh, you know, uh, wearing PPE and going around the public, you know, doing doing these uh, campaigns and whatnot. Well, Brother Africa, you know, the orange menace is Superman, don't you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, he's impervious you know, to COVID-19. Uh, in fact, he even talked about the fact he was thinking about putting on a Superman shirt just to flash it at, the, at his well wishes uh, to show them, you know, just how uh, impervious to COVID-19 he actually is. But I think, what I find fascinating, though, Brother Africa, is the fact that he, he can get away with that and immediately inability to, to really uh, berate this guy for what he did. I mean, aside from the fact of actually infecting other people, that's one thing. But the mere emotion you have, you have that's a double standard that exists in which one in which people, you know, who are, who are uh, infected with COVID-19 are expected to uh, quarantine for at least 14 days. This guy, can, can, and after a three-day period, can just run and do pretty much as he pleases without any response from those positions of power, which tells you a lot about in terms of the inner workings in terms of how Washington actually works. Because can you imagine a situation where Barack Obama had COVID-19 and we were president of the state, and he would run around and do something like that? Can you imagine the kind of backlash he would receive from the media in terms of doing that? The mere fact this guy got a pass speaks values in terms of, you know, a lot of very powerful, connected individuals who support this guy, who want him to have a second term at office. Uh, so, which explains why, you know, so if you can convey this message that, in fact, that somehow uh, COVID-19 can be defeated in a relatively short period of time, then you certainly give a lot of credibility to the notion that you don't need masks. In fact, his, 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 his followers are, are adamant that when you talk about masks, they're adamant that you don't need masks. And so, therefore, it plays right into that narrative then which has been created in terms of, you know, that, that you know, uh, COVID-19 is not real, that COVID-19 is, is, is an exaggeration. Uh, you know, so anyway, uh, it's, it's all very, very interesting about Africa, but, but, you know, the mere fact that uh, he's been, ha- he's been um, handled, you know, um, like, a, like, a, like a kid in terms of, uh, you know, his, his, his outrageous behavior, big values in terms of complicity uh, that exists among the powerful in society and why uh, the question in terms of justice. The question, the question of humanity can never be a, a, a pivotal uh, question or concern uh, in the society. Any response, Brother Moses? If not, what we're going to do, again, please hit one if you have any questions or comments. 
what we're going to do is we're going to um, take a break of a liberation of culture. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, what we're going to do, we're going to have a discussion on the theme tonight. We live in a world of gains and deception. And the first article we can discuss, which I found very interesting, is titled, We Entered the Earl of Branding for Black Lives. We Entered the Earl of Branding for Black Lives. You know, when you talk about how the oppressor has used us historically to make money and wealth and use all the things that we do, he doesn't miss a trick. It's an interesting article, and we'd like to have your thoughts on this discussion. So we're going to pause for the calls. When we come back, we will entertain the article. We will enter the era of branding black lives. This is Africa on the moon. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the news, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, 
comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah.
What's going on, Brother Marvin? You asked the question, and we're going to try to address some of it tonight. And we discuss that thing. We live in a world of gangs and deception. That was an interesting article. We recommend you to um, Google and look up. Title, We Entered the Era of Branding for Black Lives. And it's a really interesting article. And when we talk about the gangs and deception that's going on, we're going to leave off, leave off, we're going to leave with Brother Hackey, leading the discussion, Brother Hackey. When you read this article, and they use the word branding for black lives. When you think of the word branding, Brother Hackey, sometimes, sometimes I think of maybe you do animals and you don't do people. But anyway, uh, as you read this article, there seem to be a lot of gangs and deception that's been played. Well, again, when they're using us, as they say, um, they are, we are being played while the owners are getting paid. Discuss, discuss where I listen to audience from your perspective. What games and deception is taking place when you read this article? We enter the era of branding for black lives. Damn, damn. When we talk about the... Some of the changes that are needed, the owners are not talking about substantive changes. They're not even talking about changes at all. Essentially, what they're doing is saying that here are some well-known means that we're going to put out there, and we're going to talk about them. But we're not going to talk about in relation to police brutality. We're simply going to talk about how we can solve these problems together. We're going to talk about Breonna Taylor's life matter. We're going to talk about things like that. None of those things do anything to substantively resolve the issue in terms of systematic oppression about African people. And that's all by design. And so when you say the question in terms of about we being played and they getting paid, that's precisely what it's all about. And keep in mind the, the individuals who are responsible for kicking off <coughs> these these movements, um uh cabinet uh, uh, and Eric Reed. Keep in mind two talented football players who have yet to be uh, invited back, you know, to uh, to 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 work to a tryout in terms of for a professional football team. You talk about two outstanding athletes. So that's the, that in itself speaks values in terms of the resistance that these owners have in terms of real racial justice and harmony in the society. It's all about game playing, and that's all it is, pure and simple. So as long as they, they're compensated, as long as they continue to make their billions, they're complacent, they're happy. When it comes to actually putting pressure on these systems in terms of legitimate change, they're not, doing, they're not willing to do that. So it speaks values in terms of the implicit kind of racism that exists among these owners. As long as they get paid, everything is fine. So we shouldn't be deceived to believe in that, in fact, that these means that they keep pointing out has any relevance whatsoever in terms of the empowerment or the elimination of racial or economic oppression of African people in the society. Brother Anthony, are we getting paid while they're getting paid? How do you see this whole issue of branding black lives is forming and taking shape as it relates to the National Football League as an institution when it comes to the well-beings of African people? Yeah, Brother Anthony, your, your thoughts on that? I don't want to wait for Brother Anthony. Um, let's go with Brother Moses. Your thoughts on that, Brother you have to remember they brought us here for a job and you know we've been we've been chattel we've been 
discriminated against. We face all sorts of obstacles in terms of our true value of our labor, and it's about representing ourselves as workers and as human beings and a full measure of our humanity is being denied. And so, you know, we're being exploited and denied our labor power, the value of our labor power. And um, these, there's, there's all kinds of ways and schemes for. I'm, let me say something about what Brother Haki said in the introduction tonight. Um, there's no, there's, there's a lot of contradictions in capitalism and aberrations of capitalism. Certainly, robbery and thievery is part of the capitalist system. It's intricate to the capitalist system. Nevertheless, I'm into the labor theory of value, and and that basically all 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 value comes from labor, and that um you know the the Profits cannot be materialized without labor. Labor is the source of all profits. And and so, you know, there's no profit-making without labor being exported some way and somehow. The basic mode of production is capitalism is buying cheap and selling dear. And no matter what, 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 uh, how it manifests itself, that's basically what's being done, buying cheap and selling dear. Thank you. Thank you. And I see we have Anthony now. Brother Anthony, are you there? Yes, yes. Yes, when you read this article, we're in the era of branding of black lives. Uh, we can play while the owners can pay. What comes to your mind, particularly when, you, when they use the term branding? Branding, in other words, reading the article, I thought that... Um, that they're trying to do everything that they can to prevent a work stoppage. And also to, you know, just to exploit the labor and image of African people. Particularly Colin Kaepernick and... Yeah, Eric. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and 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 you know, and they they banished them from the NFL for all practical purposes. Yet they're still exploiting their image in order to remain calm with among the players within the NFL. Yeah, I thought that point was interesting. They're using those two while they have been mm-hmm. victimized of, of the decision that they have made, I told the owners, to blackness them for playing football. Now, what's your interest about Eric Reed? He, w- he was able to finally get some work with the Carolina Panthers. Last year, he, he ended up breaking two of their defensive records, being one of the better defensive backs. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the waiver this year, he has not been picked up as of the day. But, you know, like you said, at the same time, they use them, they use that image to try to, uh, you know, create a scenario as if they have an interest in the well-being of so-called, you know, black lives, African lives. Yeah, I thought it was mm-hmm. real hypocritical and games have been played a deception. 
when we look at this article and just come to show you how dialectical the enemy can be when it comes to um, the interests of African people. One of the things I found you honest, I mean, honest about when you look at this whole dynamic and this relationship between owners and, and uh, athletes is that, you know, it has been reported that most of your wealth owners, they have a tendency to support and give money to the forces who are openly pushing the oppression and the killing of African people. Most of these football owners, basketball owners, they are heavily supportive of the so-called Republican Party. And many of these ideals that are contrary to the interests of African people, the owners are supporting them and finance them, while at the same time making their money off the same folks that they are helping to create policies to terminate them. Your response to that that phenomenon? Well, um, it's not it's too surprising. Uh, 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 it doesn't surprise anyone uh, that uh, most of these owners are multimillionaires or billionaires, and uh, they amass their wealth through heavily investing in these various corporations that are responsible for the exploitation of Africans around the world. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the, well, the, 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 name, the name of the game is capitalism. Game is capitalism. It's, it's not about right and it's wrong. About right and wrong. It's, about it's about expediency. It's about how much wealth how you can obtain at expense of others. It's very simple. So, therefore, we don't, so therefore, we don't anticipate, we don't expect these don't wealthy expect owners to do anything other than support the Republican Party. And so when they finance a weaponry, most advanced weaponry for the police department, they do it with the understanding that that weaponry will be used specifically for the oppression of African people and the oppression of people who are progressive generally. So we understand that. That's a given, Brother Africa. That's just a, I mean, that's just a given. So nobody should be surprised. So the lack of stand that these owners take, it's not surprising. Whatsoever. You know what I mean? And the yeah. fact if you had the opportunity to actually grill them and to assess, you know, what they really feel, then I'm not surprised that uh, the racism just flow out. But they're not going to put themselves in a position where you can actually grill them in terms of you know, their policy in terms of the kind of things that they do, so because it will reveal too much. You know, so nobody should be surprised, you know. Of course, what they do when they use their wealth, they use it for their benefit. The only way, that, the only way they can reasonably benefit is perpetuation of the system. So they don't so care in terms of the devastation or the impression, the oppression of people upon African people or the suffering of people upon the masses of people in society. It's not their concern. They don't care about that. They care about the proliferation of the system. And their question is how can we make you proliferate? Now keep in mind, now here's the, here's the catch. As capitalism declines, they understand there's an imperative, a monetary imperative to get as much money now as you possibly can. They understand what's the decline of the American dollar in terms of its value. They understand that the capitalism is only a question of time. They understand that. So they want to amass, amass, amass as much capital as they possibly can now. That doesn't include the terms of giving a damn about injustices that permeate society or depression of African people. That is not one of their concerns. Their concern is getting as much as you can while the system still exists. But if they understand the its deterioration is inevitable, and they understand that. And the name of the game is about the maximizing maximizing of capital, and that's what it's all about. And so these guys, these owners of the NFL, epitomize that mindset. 
Okay, panelists, let's make this transition to another article that will be interesting as we discuss the theme. We live in a world of gangs and deception. We live in a world of gang and deception. There's a real interesting article that somewhat has a parallel to some of the history and struggles of the African people who were born in the United States. And that is, when we look at this article, The Radicals and Transformational Roots of Black History Month in Britain, um, that's a real interesting article. It was written by Jane West on October 7, 2020. Now, it said the radical and transnational roots of black history month in Britain. When we look at the history of African people in the United States and the uh, struggle of African people in Britain, how does their struggle in, of the Africans in Britain parallel with the struggle of Africans in the United States in terms of fighting for and recognize the need to have a so-called African month. Start out with you, Brother Anthony. Yes. yes. Uh, the, similarities uh, the similarities are that are um, that, um, that, Africans that Africans are, are in Britain are are, 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 are oppressed by the same by forces the same that oppress Africans, Africans in the U.S. That is capitalism. That is capitalism. And the and difference the difference is, is because, because Africans started, African started immigrating, immigrating uh, into uh, Britain into more Britain recently uh, than, uh, than, than Africans, Africans in, in, the in the U.S. and, US Canada, and Canada, the Africans, the Africans in, Britain, in Britain, I don't think, have the illusion of that, uh, that they're that, included that they're in, uh, in, uh, in Britain's, uh, Britain's uh, policies uh, and what have you. What have you. They don't have that. They, 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 they identify with uh, uh, either the either African the diaspora, diaspora or or uh, or the or the or motherland the, or the for the most part. They don't have they that don't illusion that included, that but they want their cultural interests protected, protected, even though they're living, though they're living in, Britain. in Britain. That's the parallel. That's the parallel. I think. I think, and also, and also um, they, th- they 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 want they want to be uh, they want their they cultural interests interest protected. protected. And I think that's and why they that's push why for, for uh, uh, you know a Black you know, History a Black Month History in Britain. In Britain. The biggest differences that theirs takes takes place in October October instead of February. February. Brother Haki? Yeah, it's good, good, you know, that these these movements are taking place in Britain. It's important because the the, the question of oppression is relevant not only for Africans in America, but Africans throughout the diaspora, in particular a place like like the U.K. Uh, The thing about the British in terms of British racism is they they tend to be a bit more subtle in terms of the racism, whereas in America they have much more brazen, much more obvious kind of racism. In Britain, uh, the British tend to be a bit more clever in terms of disguising their racism. But nonetheless, it exists. So it's good that the the, the Africans in Britain understand their reality and have fashion movements to address those issues in terms of racism, which fundamentally um, uh, makes it impossible for them in terms of achieving as much as they possibly 
the chief based upon their abilities. So it's good that that, that is happening. Uh, I think one of the things is that when they talk about uh, fashioning your black history around issues particular to what's happening in Britain, that is key. Uh, but ultimately what's going to happen, they're going to have to, uh, on, on a much grander level, they're going to have to uh, connect that to the struggles of Africa. Uh, right now that's in the process of happening. Uh, there are uh, still struggles in terms of the relationship between you know, Africans and Britain, Africans on the continent. But uh, it has to be much more. It has to be incorporated in much more broader fashion. Uh, so I think um, the, the, the given reality, the political reality, economic reality, the, 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 the brothers and sisters in, in the UK got no choice but to, to fight against the oppression. And one of the things that when you talk about the leadership of, of Britain, which tend to be very, very conservative, and you know even even the the, the um, Labour Party in, in American terms tend to be somewhat conservative. Uh, maybe that's just my perception in terms of the Labour Party. But certainly when you talk about the Conservative Party and you talk about uh, Margaret Thatcher in terms of what she brought, what she brought to the table, in terms of legitimizing racism, she was very, very clever in terms of how she went about doing that, in terms of utilizing the, the, the levels of, of power to legitimize racism and to talk about the fact that, in fact, if you say to the brothers and sisters in the U.K., in order to talk about your contributions historically as an African people, it's somehow, it's somehow to foment the vision in, in the British society. Uh, clearly, this was a deception. This was an attempt to, uh, to belittle, to undermine the importance in terms of African history. So clearly what the African brothers and sisters in, in, in the UK are doing is very important. It's very important for the world struggle of African people throughout the diaspora. And the only thing I can say about Africa, you guys just encourage them to continue doing what they're doing and to broaden that relationship between what's happening in the UK and what's happening in terms of the continent of Africa. Brother Moses, your take on the article? Well, let me just say, you know, the very the very fact that we are spiritual people in a material world leads to a, a lot of problems, a lot of problems, because there's contradictions and uh, what's visible in front of us. You know, we look we look to see people who look like us, and we favor the people who look like us, and uh, and the development of the world history such that technology and mechanization developed in Europe and 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 uh, the capitalist the capitalism took off, and and this exploited system of a profit driven system of 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 uh subjugation of everybody to the to the will of the capitalist class um and then the need to to uh designate the workers in order to further exploit them and so racism continues and, and thrives. And so, you know, there's no it's no wonder that, you know, racism still exists, um as as Brother Holly Selassie said, until the color of a man's skin is no more significant than the color of his eyes, you know, there's gonna be problems and uh and so, you know, it's, 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 it takes place in Europe, it takes place in Asia, it takes place in Latin America, it takes place everywhere, uh, everywhere around the world because, because um, the exploited system of capitalism has not been thoroughly defeated and we, 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 we are not able yet to judge a person by the color, by the color, color conscious of their character rather than the color of their skin um, uh, until we we get to that mentality uh, and 
Uh, in the Bible, they say you walk by faith and not by sight. And so that that kind of mentality is, is not possible, evidently, under this under this material world. Uh, uh, as long as capitalism and imperialism exist. Thank you. Thank you. You know, panelists, um, I would like to get y'all to respond to the reaction from the opposition forces and the right wing forces as it relates to the struggle for African people to have a need to create and develop a particular month that will honor their history, their struggles. And when we look at this phenomenon, Brother Andrew, I think you said something earlier about um, that we have certain commonalities in terms of the opposition in terms of the enemy, the same enemy. And we can see it the same enemy because they are seen. They are seen to be. They have the same behavior, make the same choice, and have the same reaction as relates to African people having the right to have months and days and weeks to acknowledge, honor their uh, humanity and their contributions to civilization and the world. And I'm saying that in the context of one, in the context of looking at um, two of the contradictions in terms of. Um, in terms of fighting against the interest of not wanting to have an African history month in Britain and, and similar also to the U.S. And that is that the opposition forces, the reaction forces, stated that one of the things they would need to do if we're going, if they would continue to have a so-called African history month or a black history month is it needs to be more diversified and more inclusionary. I find that really interesting because when you look at their educational institution and their programs, it's definitely not diversified and definitely not inclusionary. So why would they set a demand of African people have to be inclusionary and diversified when giving that you're only talking about one month out of real, and you're also talking about a specific need for a specific need of people? So your response to this criticism of saying that it needs to be more diversified and looking at our experiences when we say diversify, it's another way of saying eradicating the essence of what we want to do as it relates to our interest in our history. And when we say inclusionary, it also means the same thing, similar to integration. When African people integrate, they lose everything. When Europeans integrate, they may have one person they call it integration. So your response to the reaction of being in opposition against it and the need for them to be more diversified and inclusionary. Um, Side with you, Brother Moses. What do you think to this whole question of this Black History Month need to be more inclusionary of other people's history and more need to be more diverse? Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, we can, Moses. Okay, I think, okay, um, I think you know, um, that's, um, that's double standards. Double standards um, it's, 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 you know, the white power the structure white power has always had double standards. It's a failure to look at itself and analyze itself. And, you know, it projects onto onto black people, you know, demands that black people have for it. And, uh, and uh, so that's that's that's, uh, that's the dilemma, you know. We we make a we make a demand for inclusion. We make a demand for diversity. And uh, and 
at, at the white power structure and their history and their narrative, and, um, and they turn around and throw it back on us as if we're the problem. And it's a failure to understand concretely what what what's really going on and have compassion and a little bit of altruism in terms of dealing with Anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Brother Haki, your response to this issue of we need, as relates to African history month, black history month, it needs to be more diverse and more inclusionary. I think as a strategy, I think as a strategy, when you hear white conservatives say uh, they want to diversify, you know, African history, I think what they're really saying is that they want it, they want it, they want it presented in a way in which the history is, 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 is palatable. Uh, they want to, to present the history in a way in which it doesn't, it, it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't uh, impact their sensibility. In other words, if you talk about African history in a way in which it's very brutal, uh, it, defend, it offends their sensibility of conservative white people who want to believe that in fact that it wasn't that bad, that in fact that we exaggerate in terms of the extent to which you know, uh, the pressure of uh, pressure African people is a bad thing. So I think what they what they really want to say, they want to say that, listen, can you present black history or African history in a way in which is acceptable to me? I think that's that motivation. And what I always say to them and say, listen, I'm not going to articulate black history in a manner which is palatable to you, which is acceptable to you, because... The oppression about uh, about them people is brutal. It continues to be brutal, and I'm not going to whitewash it by saying, talking and talking about it in a way in which makes you feel better about who you are. I can't do that, and I know would I ever do that. So I think that behind that logic, I think, or at least behind that strategy, is this notion that in fact that you know that the truth should be presented in a way in which you know uh, their sensibilities are protected. And for me, I find that absurd. I find it absurd because either it was a brutal institution, or is a brutal institution, or it wasn't a brutal institution. Uh, there is there is no there's no there's no way around the reality in terms of when you oppress people, the kind of brutalization you have to uh, impart in terms of maintaining the oppression of, those, of that people. So uh, if, if it's difficult for you to accept the hardships in terms of the brutality of it all, you know, then my suggestion to you is saying, you know, close your ears. Because no one's going to present and no one should present African history in a way in which it's palatable you know, to, white, to white conservatives. Because if you do that, in essence, then so much that needs to be conveyed would not be conveyed simply because you're concerned about the sensibilities of conservative white people. And uh, that's that's my last concern. That would be my last concern. I could scale less about what white conservatives think. Uh, if you can't deal with the brutal nature of the oppression, then you know, don't talk to me because I'm not going to whitewash a damn thing. It's going to be brutal. So you know, when I talk about it, you know, I, I can talk about, for instance, you know, using black babies to warm your feet up, infant babies, and putting your cold ass feet on infant black children, you know, infant African babies. I can talk about that. I can talk about that. Taking a black infant, African infant child, and beating them, beating them, uh, beating them, beating their heads across a tree. 
you know, like somehow, uh, like somehow you're dealing with some inanimate object. I can talk about a lot of the brutalities when it comes to African people. I can talk about the rape of African women. You know what I mean? I'm not going to present it in a way in which it's palatable. I mean, if you can't stand it, then that's, that's your problem, not mine. I can't present it. I can't present it in a way in which it, which is easy. It's easy on your ears. I, I just know what I want to do that. So I think the implication in terms of this whole notion, in terms of diversifying, I think it's essential what they're saying. And uh, you know, and and I might end by saying this. It's not just white conservatives. We also have some white liberals. Also, we have a very difficult time in terms of when 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 African people can read the horrors of of slavery. You know, look. You know, look the other way. We have a very difficult time in terms of, you know, hearing what you have to say. Simply because it's not presented in a way in which it's, you know, palatable to their ears. I'm sorry. It was. It's a brutal institution. It continues to be a brutal institution, and that's the way I convey it. And that's just me. But I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Brother Anthony. Yes. Kwame Ture observed many years ago. That integration, integration with, uh, with, uh, in, and in and of itself is a subterfuge for white supremacy when when the roots of the problem, of the problem are, not are not addressed adequately. And uh, and, and I think uh, this is the case here. And, uh, and you know, uh, and uh, you know, and, uh, so I think uh, you know that nationalism becomes very important in terms of addressing uh, the oppression that Africans worldwide suffer from. And to go at it without attacking, without addressing the root of the problem, is to uh, is to is to change the form of uh, you know uh, of uh, you know a European oppression without addressing the essence of it. Okay. Okay, panelists. What is saying near the end of the article? It raised the issue of, I would say, divide and conquer. We understand in different geographical geographical areas, African people have their their own stories to tell and reason why they may choose who and how they will tell it. But they raised the issue in the article about maybe one of the motives of why African History Month in Britain was in October because they didn't want to have or be viewed as copying of the historical experiences of Africans in the United States and make it in February. I find that particular point in the article to be decisive and continue and to be a continued panel of trying to divide us. Y'all response to that particular narrative at that point in the article. What was the importance of having that point in the article? that the Africans in Britain don't want to be like the Africans in the United States. Y'all response? Um, um, I think it, I think I think it, it speaks, I think it speaks to, to what the divide and conquer, and conquer uh, approach, uh, approach uh, because, because uh, Africans, uh, in, the Africans in the diaspora face a common plight. They have a common enemy, capitalism and all of its manifestations, including imperialism, Zionism, settler colonialism, neocolonialism, etc. 
So I think it's a, I think it's a subtle method of trying to keep us divided, to keep us from uniting and acting together to liberate our homeland, Mother Africa. So I think it's a false division because really Africans in the diaspora suffer uh, from a common form of oppression and exploitation. Regardless of which languages we speak Yeah, I got a, I got a different perspective, Brother Africa I, I think that the article alludes to the fact, you know, that uh, Africans in the UK were heavily influenced by the movements of Africans in America I don't think they, 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 they ran from that point I think that point was very, very salient I think it was very, very, uh, very, very clear but I think the, in, the importance in terms of uh, in terms of trying to foment a, 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 a black history consciousness in the UK, uh, based upon the particulars of uh, UK society, I think it makes sense. Uh, I, I think it makes absolute sense. I mean, the players are different. The conditions are different. Uh, certainly, historically, uh, how things played out were different. So it makes sense that when you try to innovate a program in terms of addressing or empowering African people in the UK, that it will, it will go along a different track. I don't see uh, the, the Africans in the UK using the same strategies in the UK that we use in America. I just, I just don't see that. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a wise thing to do. So I don't see a problem in terms of being divisive. I, I just don't see that. I think it's just a natural, is, is a natural, um, uh, a natural kind of inclination uh, when you try to form movements to look around you and, and look at the particulars in terms of the conditions that you're confronted with, and to say, how can we best move forward in this society? So to think that somehow that uh, to, to use examples uh, in terms of um, our struggles in America, I think they wouldn't be uh, relevant in terms of UK society. They wouldn't be relevant at all. We talk about two different cultures, uh, two different experiences, two different ways of looking at things. So it makes sense that they would go a different route in terms of trying to create a situation uh, uh, which is which is favorable in terms of you know the, uh, the empowerment of African people. So I don't see it being a divisive whatsoever. Like I said before, the only issue I've had is that it should be broadened the black consciousness in the UK and to incorporate more in terms of the relationship between UK in Africa, and that's my own. That would be my only critique. But I don't have a problem in terms of brothers and sisters saying, "Listen, we respect what Africans in the U.S. are doing, you know, but we have to we have to innovate our own way in terms of how we can move forward here in the U.K." I don't have a problem with that. I don't see it being being divisive. Brother Moses. Well, I'm waiting for Brother Moses. Okay, we gotta bring him in. I can bring Brother Moses in now. Can you hear us, Brother Moses? The mic is yours. Yes, Brother Moses. I said I was surprised that Brother Haki had the position that he had, but nevertheless, um, yeah, I think I think you know, like uh, the one, the one unite like um, uh, International Workers Day and. Um, um, there should be, you know, we should have a, a solidarity. Uh, um, that um, I don't think, you know, this 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 this, this identifying with uh, each other is a good thing necessarily. I mean, ultimately, I mean, I mean, you know, it's not gonna gonna be. Um, 
world-shattering or anything, but, but nevertheless, it seemed like there would have been more unity there and more common uh, common enemy approach to things than, than uh, the British seemed to be taking. Thank you. Thank you. You know, panelists, as I was reading, in fact, about this whole concept of Africans, wherever they are, fighting for their own months or their recognition of their humanity and their contribution to the world, if you could read the con um that issue in the context of being a settler audience where settlers have came and controlled the indigenous people of that particular land base, would that be a value also of having an African history month or African history months in in countries where African people so called own and govern themselves, like on the continent of Africa? Well, I think, um, well, first of all, I think Africans should observe African history all year round, not just one particular month. But uh, let's see, I think, uh, but I think the situation in Britain is a little different because the British are, uh, you know, uh, you know, are indigenous to Britain. But they, but they gave birth. They had they have birth a great settler colonialism by by sending Europeans to take over the indigenous peoples of the West land. So so the problem is in a way rooted in Britain. Even though, Even though uh, our experiences, uh, experiences are different, are different uh, we have uh, that we commonality, have commonality that that that, that a lot of Africans in the diaspora occupy, occupy settler colonies, colonies. Like, like Brazil, Brazil the U.S., the Canada, US, Canada uh, you know, etc. But I think. But if I think is many African countries, when you talk about African history, there seems to be a program that may talk about the history among the Africans within that geographical border, but not history in in the context of learning about African people global. That's Africans on and off the continent. For example, uh, when they teach history, let's say maybe in the country of Cameroon, is that history taught from perspective where they know about the history of African people all over the continent and outside? Is there a need for something in that type of curriculum to exist on the continent? I think I think so. I think so. I think I think there is a need for that, but it doesn't exist because of the balkanized state of Africa right now. And, uh, and uh, but I think, but I think we, uh, we we there needs to be a greater sharing of historical experiences, not only within across you know the length and breadth of Africa, but also the diaspora. We need to study you know ourselves more closely in terms of our collective experiences. Not only the differences, but also the similarities. 
Yeah, well, yeah, well, excuse me. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think there's a process involved with Africa. I, I, I think that first and foremost, they have to learn about the history, the, 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 the regional history, uh, you know, of their, of their country, of their state. I think first and foremost. I think included in that, uh, you know, somewhere down the line, you have to also incorporate, you know, the struggle of Africans throughout the diaspora. I don't think you can achieve both simultaneously. See, the biggest problem I think for Africa right now is that most Africans are even with the history of their own, their own, their own region, their own state, their own country. So at a, at a start, it seems to me that it makes sense in terms of starting from that perspective, in terms of understanding more about your country, who you are, and to, in, in, in next, the region in which you live, and to expand outward. Ultimately, uh, embracing you know the, the struggles of Africans throughout the diaspora, but I think it's a process. You have to start somewhere. I don't think you can do them simultaneously. So I think uh, so. I don't have a problem in terms of learning about you know people learning about you know their, their country and, and that region that they live in in terms of the history. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it has to include um, the struggles of Africans throughout the diaspora. But I think it's a process. And starting you know with uh, regional knowledge is not necessarily a bad thing in my view. And Brother Moses. Okay, yeah, once, 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 again, once again, Brother Haki, you're surprising me. Um, but like, um, yeah, I think you know that makes sense. That definitely you want to you want to start start um, at your where you are and to expand from where you are in terms of self determination and and uh, and and uh, control of your environment and be able to function. So you have to know what your surroundings are, your immediate surroundings are, and how they came to be. What how and a little history of, of where you are. And so yeah, locally uh, locally is very important now. Uh, to know to know your community. And uh so that makes sense to me too. Thank you. Thank you. Hi panelists, at this point in time we're gonna take a liberation culture break and when we come back, we will have your final thoughts for tonight. You listen to Africa on the move.
end up in jail and gotta go Cause you could do crime and get paid today And tomorrow you're behind bars in the worst way Far from your family Cause you're locked away Now tell me Do you really think crime pays Even on taking what your brother had? You little sucker You talking all that jazz It's time to stand together in a unity Cause if not then you're with soon to be self-destroyed Unemployed Race will be lost without a trace or a clue but what to do is stop the violence and kick the science down the road that we call eternity where knowledge is forming you learn to be self-sufficient independent to teach the east is what rap intended but society wants to invade so do not walk this path that they laid it
be fighting all systems and government that oppress people. And they practice exploitation. Tonight you listen to part one of a two-part series. We live in a world of gangs and deception. We come on every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we ask you to spread the word. Spread the word that Africa on the move is for the oppressed communities. We are a vehicle and a voice for the voiceless. We are here for you and because of you. So right now we're going back to our political panelists and analysts. And we're going to ask each one of them to give us their final thoughts for tonight. We come back to Brother Moses. And Brother Moses, we welcome you back and your final thoughts for tonight as we spoke to the issue of we live in a world of gains and deception. This is part one of a two-part series. Brother Moses, close us out with your final thoughts. Okay. The Native Americans, the indigenous people um, had this land here. It had use value for them. They lived on it. They um, they, um, were good stewards over it. They were good stewards over it. And so in that sense, they, 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 there was no need for ownership per se because, because there, was no, there was no contradiction uh, in terms of their use value and their stewardship until the settlers came from European settlers. And, uh, and, and that's when private property and ownership took, took, uh, took on his capitalist venture, venture and uh, the rest is history. And so, you know, um, we, we have to recognize that it's been correctly stated that black skin will never be free until white skin is also free. And so we, we are bound up in history. We're bound up in these contradictions of, of uh, capitalism and imperialism and the system and the organization of society and this political economy. And we got to recognize the situation for what it is, please, the people for what they are, especially Donald Trump as a fascist, there can be no question about this is not your run over me a capitalist. He's, 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 he's denounced, um, um, he's denounced, um, the people's history of the United States, um, um, the Howazian, he, he said in, he's against progressives, he's against Democrats, he's against socialists, he's against communists, and, you know, so we got to recognize that and, and wake up and smell the coffee. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. And we now go to Brother Hackey. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Hackey. Yeah, I got a question um, for the audience. The precarious class is a class of people in society who would never find full employment. So often we talk about the gig economy and all that means. So essentially what we talk about is a race to the bottom, where salaries continue to drop, fall, 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 fall. Meanwhile, you have an explosion of people who don't have access to work. A question to the audience, what do you do with all these people you that don't, you don't have, what the system doesn't have any work for? What do you do with them? Think about that one for a minute. What do you do with them? It seems to me, you know, that, you know, when they talk about depopulation, one of the things at the heart of depopulation is the notion that uh, people have to be uh, eradicated. They have to be eliminated. They have to be killed off. 
So if that be the case, then when you think about in terms of people without jobs in society in America, do we realistically think that uh, given that formula, that this that this wholesale destruction of human life will not happen in America? Do we think America is exceptional? That somehow uh, history doesn't apply to America? Well, if that's what you think, think again. And I definitely encourage people, please, by all means, please start reading. Please read as much as you can about economics. You know, we can talk as much as we want about all all these all these ills that impact impact the African community. But if we truly want to understand what is going on in society and implicit threat to your lives, our lives, then you have to understand economics. It's not difficult. Don't let them diffuse you with the convoluted words. That's all designed to confuse you, make you think that they're saying something that's so complex you can't comprehend it. If you take the time and actually look at the terms and study them, then you see how simplistic it really is. We must understand the nature of the beast when we talk about uh, the, the, the decline of the American system. Having said that, Brother Africa, as always, you know, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, it is key. Uh, the struggle is going to be intense, and there's no getting around that. We must organize, we must institutions. That is the key. Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you say, Brother Aki, we thank you for your contribution to today's program. Part one of we live in a world of games and deception. Brother Anthony, you found the thoughts for tonight. Yes, Brother Anthony, can you hear us? Brother Anthony, I think we have some problems with Brother Anthony. Can you hear us, Brother Anthony? Yes, I can. Yes, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that that now more than ever, we need to organize and study our history carefully and join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. And, Brother Anthony, from my understanding, for people who like to see the live program dealing with the Indigenous People Day that took place in Washington, D.C. yesterday, that was the 17th of October, um, they can go to your organization website, which is www.a-aprp.gc.org. And also understanding, go to your Facebook page and type in A-A-P-R-P-G-C, you space, and then you type in 2006. So you can see that also on the uh, AAPRP Facebook page as well. So please, brothers and sisters, if you haven't seen the event, go and check it out. Again, we must give much thanks and props. For those who put this particular program together, um, yesterday, such groups and individuals at Billy Tyrock and the Piscataway Indian Nation and Tyrock Territory, Pete Lemiso, he's a representative of the American Indian Movement, Mid-Atlantic Region. We have Penny Williams, representative of the American Indian Support Group. We have Jafari, National Council of Arab Americans. We have John Stanbock. 
Himashima Nasakasi Peace Committee of the National Capital Area. We have Kamal Benjamin, representing all African peoples, represented by JC and Bob Brown, Pan African Roots. Job well done on Indigenous People Day commemoration. We hope we get bigger, better, and we continue to support it. And my final thoughts tonight are one, we'd like to thank you for allowing us to come to your home this evening where we can speak truth to power and to provide our people with some information so they can think. Because you know, while information you cannot think, but even more critical is that while organization you cannot think clearly. This is one of the reasons we'd like to expose you, encourage you to join the organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people as well as to help liberate humanity. So please do that. The second thing we'd like to share with you is that if you have any views and comments about the show or like to be a participant one day, please feel free to write us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. And last but not least, we would like to encourage you to continue to subscribe to Go Forward Apple, Backos Neville, and the best way to do this is for you to be in an organization and get organized. Organization is a weapon of the press. If you love your people, you love Mother Africa, and you love humanity, the best way you can show your love is by being organized. We need you. Join the organization and working for the liberation of your people and humanity. Until next time, we see you next week on part two. We live in a world of games and deception. You have been listening to Africa on the Move. I'm Brother Africa, and we'll leave you with this sound of inspiration.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs her freedom. Palestine. Palestine, needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our
again, custard dog.